Welcome to the Lake Mac Way, where we spend some time with our people who make Lake Macquarie a great place to live and work. Doug Archibald, welcome to the Lake Mac Way. Good to meet you, good to have a chat with you today. You're the next in line, you've been wheeled up uh, <laughs> reluctantly for this. <laughs> Very reluctantly too, yeah. <laughs> so. so tell me, let's before we hear a bit about your story, I'm aware you've been at the Lake Macquarie Council for a long time. How long and what do you do there? Yeah, 40 years I've been there. Uh, started off as labourer and then I jumped on machines and started driving them. Backhoes, excavators, loader, front-end loader. They drive a few things. It's not just a front-end loader. Yeah, probably not as good as the loader. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I do now. It's good fun? Well, I did have a great job. I was working around the lake. And uh, the people you meet on the lake, it's fantastic, you know, the stories that they got. It's great. Yeah, that was a really, really good job. I think I've done that for about 11 years. So when did you move to another spot? Well, the backhoe fell apart, and then uh, so I had to move to a different job. And then I, so I ended up just going back labouring for a while, and then a job on the loader come up, and I grabbed that. You must have started at a pretty young age, I'm thinking, if you've, if you've been there 40 years. Yeah, I started on the council when I was 22. Yeah, I'm 62 now. Always been a good place to work? Oh, been a real good place. Yeah, they look after you. They're, they're a good, good mob to work with, work for. So I suppose to stay in a job that long, it must be a good place to work, number one, but I imagine across that period of time you would have met a lot of people that you've worked with and had a lot of good workplace experiences. Oh, yeah, a lot of good people work, work there. Uh, you, you make a lot of good mates. You have a little bit of conflict with some people, but that's just part of the work. But 90% of the people are really good people. Let's talk a bit about your life. Were you born in Newcastle? No, I was born in Armidale, nice and cold. And uh, we moved down here when I was six. We lived at Teralba, lived in a tent. My father was a fettler, and there was a, a fettler's camp over there on Billy Goat Hill. There was about eight families. So we just lived there, and uh, no restrictions when we, were, when we got up in the morning. It was just run through the bush and have fun, and we knew every little, every little bit of that hill and that. So it was great, even the lake. So for those people, you mentioned your dad was a, a fettler. For someone who's ever, well, they're thinking, well, what's a fettler? Just tell us, what does a fettler do? Fettler's a railway worker, you know. So he worked on, on the, the government railway for years and then he ended up going, working with a private company. And that, the first Aboriginal pri- uh, company in Newcastle or in Australia. So. so you've come from Armidale, you're born there. So what age are you when you get to, to Newcastle and you, you, you live at Teralba? Um, I think I was six because we're just, I remember going to the first week of school in Armidale and then we moved down here. Yeah, went to Teralba School. Eight in the family. There's eight kids, four boys, four girls, mum and dad. And then later on we ended up having about oh, an extra six people coming through the house. You know, we only had a, only had a two-bedroom house, and we all just made room. So. Mate, how many? So, mum and dad, yep. eight kids, and then a few more on top of that in two bedrooms. Yeah, in two bedrooms. So you know, you got four boys squashed up in one bed, and you know things like that. 
Was it a double bed or four boys squashed <laughs> up in a single bed? It was just a double bed, so it's bunk beds. Yeah, and so you just sleep foot to foot. Now, before you, you mentioned that, which caught my attention straight away, you mentioned to me you lived in a tent when you first came to Taralba. Yeah. Now, say Armadale was cold, which it is, yeah. but Newcastle in the middle of winter, as we've just experienced, is not real warm either. How What was the conditions like living in the tent when you first got here? Pretty good, I suppose. Mum and Dad looked after us, so, you know, the cold didn't really bother us. We were, we were just kids running around and having fun. You didn't have any toys, so you had to make your own. <laughs> so that was pretty good, you know. So your memories of those days were pretty carefree and, and a lot of fun? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, carefree. You've gone you got from the time that you wake up until the time you come home. You know, we didn't have lunch. We just had breakfast in the morning and then, then supper at night. That was it. What about your school days? How were they? School days, they were pretty good. The Terralba School was a fantastic school. It was really good, you know. A real old-style schools and that, you know, had the big sliding doors, you know, in between each rooms and that. So, you know, the teachers were great. Yeah, I really enjoyed primary school. Were there any other Indigenous kids in the school at that time? Um, there was two other families. There was um, Smiths and Griffins, and but the the Smiths they, they were they were all they were our cousins, and they were around our, my age, and the Griffins they were a little bit old and they lived they lived next door to each other. They lived straight across from the school. So three families, effectively. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't. There was another family, um, but I didn't know it at the time because uh, they they were they were very they they were how would I say they were white. They looked white, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we used to the, we used to wonder why they pick on these kids all the time instead of picking on us. Mm. You know, and it wasn't until after we left primary school that they found out that they were Aboriginal you know and uh, we just never thought anything of it really So these Aboriginal kids who were getting picked on uh, didn't appear outwardly to be Aboriginal they looked the same as the other kids but still got bullied Yeah they still got bullied and uh, you know Why do you think that was? Um, Came down from the parents, the messages, do you think? Those kids are Indigenous, so the kids just pick up on that. And is it, is it, Would that have been a reason? I think so. Like, we got picked on, but it was just something that Mum and Dad put in our heads not to take any notice to. Mm. You know, if you've got to, you, you want to you wanna make something of yourself or you want to keep going, you've got to push that aside and, and just just don't think about it. But... You know, uh, we've seen these people getting picked on all the time. And, I, you know, you just sort of... When you're kids, you sort of just goes into the back of your mind after a while. But what I did, what we ended up doing was I ended up connecting connecting up to them later on in life. And, and I found out that they were traditional owners from the lake here. And... And they, they were one of the very few that were left around the lake. 
And so instead of being picked on by the average, by, you know, they, they, they become sort of a bit of a hero-type people for us, for the Aboriginal people, because, you know, there's someone there that comes from this place, and it made a big difference. It made a big difference to that, to me. And how long after that in the schoolyard did you find this out? Um, maybe, maybe after would have been the late part of high school. Yeah, that was a while. It was a long time. It was a long time. You know, nobody said anything. If somebody asks you, Doug, your background, do you say I'm Aboriginal? Do you say I'm Indigenous? What? What? I, I, I say that I'm a Gumbangri man from Armadale. That's on my father's side. On my mother's side, Gamilaroi. She comes from Kroona, Kroona Mission. So, you know, yeah, that's that's what I say. And I'm living there in the land of the Yawabical. Do you think we do it? And I say we. Do you think this the the ceremonies these days that we experience out where there's an, a welcome to country or an acknowledgement of country mm. uh, is done better and actually is more appropriate than it might have been 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Oh, things things are things are a lot different. It's 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 a lot better now than what it used to be. You know, um people are more accepting now. You know, and and the same with the aboriginal people. They're more accepting and more open to talk so prouder about their background and, and where they came yeah. from. Yeah, they yeah, they're very proud now, you know. I'd say nine out of ten Aboriginal people will stand up and say, Yes, I am Aboriginal, I am proud to be where before it was sort of a lot of kids just didn't want to speak about it. Been a lot of good role models, I suppose, who yeah. have, have led the way there. Is there anyone who's inspired you that thought, Well, you know, that's a I've finally heard somebody who's standing up proud, talking about their background and you're going, boy, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, my cousin slash elder brother, he worked in the national parks, you know, and he was my hero because he's going out, he sees all these Aboriginal sites and that, and, you know, we learned all this stuff and that, and that's what, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn all about this stuff. And uh, then you got that. My wife, she, she's very staunch in what she says, and the Aboriginal educator, you know, and she's, she's not backward in saying that she's Aboriginal and she's proud of it. So when you look at the footballers, all the footballers, Adam Goods and those sorts of, sorts of people. There's been some good Aboriginal boys across a long, a long period of time in all sort of... Like the NRL, boy... Couldn't that All Stars team's pretty handy? Oh yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. But um, like Merv Bishop, a photographer, and he was one of my. When I started work, I had a couple of times work with him, and the bloke is—he's just so good. You know, he was the bloke that ended up doing the photography with Gough Whitlam, pouring the dirt into the hand and that and that. That is so so. Was that the treaty? Did they? That was t- the treaty. That was that was a treaty, and that was so. So I just keep, I keep that in my head all the time. Um, Jim Ridgeway, 
old Uncle Jim Ridgeway when we first started our reference group with Art Gallery. He, he was there at the time, he was doing work for the gallery, and he said, I remember when we went to the gallery there one time, and he says, why isn't there any Aboriginal input into this? Where's, where's the Aboriginal paintings? Where's, you know, where's the Aboriginal content? He said, I want us to be able to show our stuff. And that stuck in my head. And, and then I thought, well, OK, yeah, we've got to get our own stories and culture out there and tell these stories. We're talking to Doug Archibald today on the Lake Macway. Many would know he drives a front-end loader on the council and has worked there for 40 years. And we're talking a bit and we're finding out quite a bit about Doug's life here. You reckon there's people listening to this today who you work with have got no idea about these stories? Ah, oh, there would be. <laughs> there would be. Uh, it's just, oh, some people know that I, I do my artwork and that, and there's other people that don't. Well, tell me about your artwork. When did you start? What type of artwork do you do, and when did all that start, and how did it come about? When I left high school, I ended up going in to uh, Newcastle Arts in town in Hunter Street and uh, ended up doing a diploma in there but that was that was really strange because there was no Aboriginal art content in learning in there it was and it's something that I didn't look for and so it was just contemporary drawing you know sculpture and everything like that and it wasn't until after I walked away from that and I thought you know and people wanted me to do Aboriginal art and that and, uh, and then I looked at the dots and the cross hatching and that and it just didn't suit what I did you know I thought well this really isn't me so what I had to do was go back out bush and I'd either come down the lake or go out bush and that and see things that I could connect with and that's when I started to develop you know, what I wanted to do. All different types of art? I mean, did you start... Can you remember the first thing you did? Um, I remember the first painting I did at school, and I was only primary school, and uh, it was a clown. I ended up painting a clown, and it was went into this competition, and they sent it back. They said, there is no way uh, this child would have been able to paint that. And so I thought, well, oh, okay. Because it was so good. Oh, either so good or so different, so, you know. And uh, the three, so I just thought of, thought, well, okay, if I can't do painting, I'll do something else. But it's been very important to you through your life? Oh, yeah, yeah, painting, painting's been really strong because it gets, I can tell stories that I want to tell, you know, I don't have to write it down on paper or anything and I don't have to make things up as I go, but these stories, they come straight out on the paintings. I want you to tell me about the Museum of Art and Culture. It wasn't always called that, but you were one of the founding members. I think there was three of you. How did that come about? Yeah, well, that come about when Debbie Abrams, she became the... She took over the art gallery. She said, OK, 
we'll put things in place. And so we ended up going out and, and seeing different organisations around the lake and that, different Aboriginal organisations, and, and we said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We need to tell our stories, you know, and can we come and reference you every now and again? So that's what, you know, and, and that's where we got this, our Aboriginal reference group from. Then we ended up getting more people on board, like Louise Charles, fantastic. We, we learned about protocols, which was very, very important. Stories that we wanted to tell, stories that we needed to tell, and getting experience from other Aboriginal artists that were already got their name out there and was doing this sort of stuff. So that was really good and that was very important. And then we just did slow steps, then it started to develop. And then one thing that we did was we named, our motto was Beyond the Dot. We didn't want to go down that path with looking commercialised. We steered away from that. A lot of what was like the possum cloak and storytelling of frontier wars and you know, things like that. So, how long ago was that that, that kicked off? Um, that kicked off in 2000. When that's when we sort of got our first look at it, and then, yeah, we ended up going through right, right till. Uh, well, we're still going now, but it's sort of a different setup now. So, has it made a difference? You think to the people of the lake, the Lake oh. Macquarie? Yeah, yeah, it's made a big difference. Like um, some of the exhibitions, when we, we ended up doing the possum cloak and we involved schools. So we're getting schools coming in. We ended up with, uh, I think it was about 40 people from around the lake that come and did a pelt, which is a possum pelt. That's just... And uh, so they did one each and then we ended up getting 10 schools in on this. So we had primary schools, we had high schools, and we were making armbands as well, things like that. And that got, that got them interested. So we kept the schools coming back with us, you know, and that was, that was a great thing. And then when we ended up doing Yapang Majma, and that was about the stolen generation, and that was a completely different thing altogether which was it was very very intense very strong very powerful um, I think we had that that's the most people that ever been through the gallery through that one and uh, very emotional very emotional one to do what do you know of and what would you say about the stolen generation you got a view on it and what would you say to someone if they asked you about it um well there would not be an aboriginal family in australia that's not affected wasn't affected by it or isn't affected by it because somebody in that family would have been taken and you know just and that's had ramifications down the line yeah and we ended up having a book and when people were leaving, they'd write in this book and they'd, uh, you know, leave comments. And there was this one, one lady, she turned around and she said, sadly, I was one of the nuns 
that were there at the orphanages with these children. And she said, I did not realise the trauma that we put these kids through. And she said, I am so sorry. You know, and to read that, it just sort of made sense. And, uh, you know, it would have been good for her as well. And not just, not just uh, the Aboriginal people. Was your own family affected by the stolen generation? Oh, yeah. Um, my mum's family. You know, she had three sisters taken, two brothers. Her father, he was he was taken away and put in orphanages and that. So, you know, the trauma that that brings down from family to family, it just seems to drift down through. So, you know. Should more people know about it? Well, I mean... We know about it. Many people know as soon as they hear the, the term stolen generation, they go, oh, yeah, I know a bit about that. Have we have we talked about it enough and got our heads around about, you know, the impact that it has had? No, no. No, I don't think so. It's, <laughs> it is uh, still very raw. And, yeah, there's, you know, there's they can be talking to people that were taken. I know a family, their whole family was... The children were taken, and they're younger than me. You know, they, you know, and they they don't want to talk about it, but it's should be talked about. Sometimes we ended up taking that into schools and telling the school kids about it, but it's different when you talk to kids, school kids, and learn them because they learn very quickly and they un- they understand they they get it, but when with adults, it's sort of They've got a mindset, doesn't persuade them, you know. So, it's 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 still slow steps, but it works. It works. What's been the biggest challenge for you, being an Aboriginal man and growing up, and into adulthood? Oh, that's a that's a big one. Well, I would I would say just learning, you know, with work wise, and that. And just learning to just keep going. You've got to keep going, and uh, doesn't matter what's what's been said or everything like that. You've got to survive. You've got your family. You've got to keep going. Just don't take things too seriously. Doug, what about at work? Do you think more people are asking you, coming to you, and asking you stuff? Yeah, they are, and they're asking about Aboriginal culture, and then they're asking about what I feel about what's happening in the papers, you know, if, if anything's in the papers and that's going on and that, they are interested a lot more than what they were. So even more interested than they might have been 10 years ago? Yeah, 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 a lot more, you know. People, they're not shy. They're not shying away from things now. It's, it's just sort of becoming, well, I need to know, OK, I just want to know what you think about it. It's not just me. It's them themselves wanting to know. What about when Kevin Rudd in the Parliament said sorry? Was that something that meant a lot to uh, Indigenous Australians? Oh, I think so. I think it meant meant a hell of a lot, you know. And the older people, you know, to the people that were taken, I think it... Just to hear, hear finally that the government has said, said sorry made a big difference. I don't know how much difference it's making now, but 
at that time, it did make a big difference. Tell me about NAIDOC week. What's that mean to you? Um, oh, it's the mob getting together, having a good time. You know, uh, it's it's good to see, good to see everybody together. Um, yeah, you get there, you see the dancers, you see see old friends. You know, I love it. Where will you go for NAIDOC week? Where's the where's the gathering that you're going to attend? Um, well, we'll probably go in town. You know, they've got a really good one in town that they that they put on. It's a great show. Then you've got Toronto. Toronto puts a really good one on. And, yeah, we'll probably just jump from one to the other, go day, day to day. <laughs> I know my, my wife, she loves it. She just, she's up early in the morning. She's ready. And if you're not ready, she's gone. <laughs> can anybody go? Anybody, anybody can come and join in. You know, come and find out. They are good times, and anybody can come. Please come along. Are you an official of this? Do you have a do you have a role to play officially in NADOC Week? No, no, I don't have a role to play. I'm, You're just there for the good time. I'm just there for the good time, talking to the brothers. <laughs> Doug, it's been great to meet you today and have a chat to you. I've learnt a heck of a lot, mate, and I'm sure a lot of people listening who work alongside you and with you at Lake Mac Council will have enjoyed the chat. Thank you very much. The Lake Mac We is produced by Lake Macquarie City Council.